With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramay. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark Daly, welcome you guys on board to the show this week. And we're back to racing at the German Grand Prix at Hockenheim this weekend. Can't wait to get started. Uh, it's always obviously an exciting time whenever there's a race weekend uh, on. And uh, of course, by the time the show is available for download, we won't be that far off from the first practice sessions. And can you believe that after this race, we've got the Hungarian Grand Prix. And then before you know it, we're in we're into the summer break and it absolutely blows my mind how quickly the past several months have gone not just in formula one but just uh, for me personally i mean it doesn't seem like all that long ago that we were sitting here and uh, speculating on what the season might look like if this was ferrari's year because they were so strong in testing and they were second and a half a lap faster than everyone else but you know now we have uh, the the benefit of having <laughs> quite a number of races uh, behind us so we can obviously say that that uh, has panned out a little bit different than than expected, uh, but uh, as disappointing as Ferrari's been, it has been uh, quite good to see and quite uh, exciting to see the re- the, uh, the the re-emergence of uh, Red Bull uh, with the with the Honda engines. Even though they're not quite there to challenge uh, Mercedes just quite yet, uh, the the fact that they've sort of stepped up and at least uh, equaled Ferrari. I mean, they're racing Ferrari each and every weekend, and I think that's been uh, a good story that maybe we're not uh, talking about quite as much. And uh, I think it's really good that. Uh, that Honda has been able to deliver and at least keep them on a level that uh, that they were in previous years with uh, with Renault. So there's plenty of power there and uh, certainly lots of good things happening. And of course, I think another good story in Formula One that uh, that we've talked about quite a bit in recent weeks uh, has been the, uh, the the resurgence, the revival to a certain extent of McLaren. So we'll look forward to see whether or not they can keep it going this weekend in Germany and beyond. And obviously, it's uh, still early days yet, but uh, they though the first half of the season in 2019 has been very promising for McLaren. Anyways, let's get into the news now, and we'll start uh, with the news that that Formula has confirmed that there will be a second series of the F1 Drive to Survive program, which uh, aired on uh, Netflix and, of course, is uh, still there if uh, you're a subscriber, and highly recommend uh, that you go and check that one out. And the big difference between this one and Season 1, which came out uh, earlier this year, just after Christmas, is that... uh, Compared to last year, we'll have all the teams signed up. And that was one of the glaring omissions last year was Ferrari and Mercedes had not signed on. So any footage that you saw of Sebastian Vettel, Kimi Raikkonen, Valtteri Bottas, or Lewis Hamilton, or anybody associated with those teams was just sort of stock footage. And it lacked a little bit. It, uh, I mean, it, it was just... 
it was different, right? Because I think that the, the interviews and a lot of the stuff they did say, especially with like uh, Danny Ricardo was a lot more uh, candid, a little bit more off the cuff, a little bit more relaxed behind the scenes, scene sort of stuff. Whereas the stuff that, uh, that they had and they were able to pull for like uh, the, the Ferrari Mercedes guys was very, it was very media, right? And uh, I know for myself that uh, inter- interviewing professional athletes, that they're completely different. You know, if, if you get them a little bit away from, uh, you know, the official kind of uh, interview scenario, they're more relaxed, they're more open. But as soon as you put a microphone in their face and you ask them a couple of questions, all athletes kind of go into this interview mode and uh, it's it's completely different, a little stiffer and, uh, and a little bit uh, more stodgy, if you want to call it that. So uh, certainly I think it's cool that uh, that we're going to be able to see uh, all the teams and, and get some more behind the, uh, the, uh, the, the scenes footage. But even though we didn't have Ferrari and Mercedes last year in season one, I don't think that that series necessarily lacked anything. There were plenty of different uh, storylines to talk about in, in, in 2018. And I'm not going to spoil it for those of you that haven't uh, had a chance to watch the program yet and highly recommend uh, that you do. One of them was, uh, well, there lots of storylines. One of them was the uh, Renault Honda, or sorry, Renault and uh, Red Bull sa- saga. And of course, ha- how Honda worked into that. And it was uh, really kind of interesting to see some of the uh, the, the different uh, confrontations or the incidents uh, between Christian Horner and Cyril uh, Abitabul from uh, Renault. Uh, then we had the, the whole saga with Danny Ricardo and how he moved to, to, to Renault. And there, there were plenty of different things uh, to talk about and uh, or, or that they talked about on the show. And I thought it was very, very well done. And uh, I think like most people, most people I know, Formula One fans at any rate, as soon as that series came down, I think I pretty much binge watched it as quickly as I could, uh, even though that uh, my weekends tend to be just as busy as, uh, as as weekdays. I still think I got through the entire series in about two and a half days. I think I sat down on a Friday night and every spare moment I had, I, th- I think I sat down, even if it was only for 10 or 15 minutes at a time, but really cool that uh, that they're going to be able to, to have all the teams involved. So they, um, they did film uh, the entire year last year and they were given permission to cover Barcelona testing earlier this winter in the early races of the year before the deal was uh, uh, formally uh, agreed to and I think that uh, that is great so uh, look forward to that uh, coming out uh, especially if they can get it out in the winter before the, the season actually starts because then you know when when it's the time of year that we're all looking for things to talk about and uh, we're, we're all really looking forward to the season that it's the perfect time of year because I hate the winter for that sort of thing right you know you, you get get to the last race in Abu Dhabi and honestly by that time of the year I'm a little bit Formula One out because I mean it is a very very long season going from the beginning of March all the way to the end of November even though you got the three week uh, break in the, the the middle of summer which of course we're just on the cusp of here but it uh I'm usually ready for the end of the year, but <laughs> I'll be honest, after that last race is done, I miss it pretty damn quick. So but by the time that they roll around to uh, winter testing at uh, Barcelona in the uh, in the middle of February, I mean, it's already been a couple of about two and a half really, really long months. I mean, we've been through December, we've been through January, and it, uh, it, it takes a really, really long time to, to, to get there. So anything that we can do that's meaningful to fill the time between uh, then is, uh, is great. But 
uh, just uh, let's stick with Red Bull. And we were just talking about them just now. Uh, Aston Martin says that they would love to have Verstappen at uh, Le Mans. And uh, Aston Martin CEO Andy Palmer says the prospect of having Formula One star Max Verstappen racing for the manufacturer at Le Mans 24 hours is a, qu- a conversation to be had. And uh, of course, um, Red Bull has a, a title partnership with Aston Martin and uh, and uh, they've um, helped uh, Aston develop the road-going Valkyrie hypercar, which was uh, released uh, and uh, pre- premiered not so long ago. But I think it'd be kind of cool. I mean, we have seen a, a number of different uh, drivers, Formula One drivers, uh, partake in Formula One uh, over the years, not necessarily while they were racing in, in Formula One. I mean, look at Nick Hulkenberg. I mean, uh, just hasn't really ever been able to find any real success in Formula One. Uh, but he raced at uh, Le Mans a couple of years ago and won. Of course, uh, Fernando Alonso has won it back-to-back. And yet you go back over the decades, uh, many different uh, Formula One drivers have raced uh, there throughout the years. And I was kind of thinking as, uh, as, as I read this uh, this story, uh, you, you look at uh, Fernando that uh, is, is really making this bid in his late 30s to be the uh, the second driver after Graham Hill to win the unofficial triple crown of motor racing, which would be Monaco, Le Mans, and the Indy 500. And uh, only Graham Hill has won all three. And a number of guys have come close and won two of the three, be it Indy and Monaco or Monaco and Le Mans or whatever the combination is, right? Uh, and, uh, and and Fernando is there and uh, he wasn't able to, to qualify for Indy this year after having a very good rookie debut there last year. So uh, I just kind of thought to myself, well, if that was a thing that uh, Verstappen could get involved in, I mean, at the, at the age he is right now at 21, I mean, he would have a very long uh, career ahead of him to try and uh, and get all three. If in fact the triple crown is something that uh, that interests him, I mean, I think for for Fernando being at a different uh, stage in his life and in his uh, career, I saw that as a way as uh, maybe a new challenge, um, a new way to maybe reinvent himself and maybe re-legitimize himself in, in motorsports. Uh, obviously, I think it's it's fair to say that uh, that he got off track uh, in, in his Formula One career. I mean, I I don't think that there is uh, too much um, to, to read into it when I say there or, or too much to debate that uh, that Fernando could have won more than two world championships uh, as a Formula One driver. But I, I often think that uh, perhaps, uh, you know, he made too many rash decisions or perhaps he didn't have the best representation or management. But I think he just being the way he is, got himself into situations and maybe burned a couple too many bridges and uh, just found himself uh, eventually at, uh, the last couple of years at the wrong time at McLaren, right? I mean, when, when he was racing McLaren the past couple of years, he wasn't racing for the McLaren that he, he had raced with, uh, you know, a decade earlier almost when uh, when he was uh, teammates uh, with uh, with Lewis Hamilton way back in 2007, 2008, whenever it was. But um, so he really found, needed something, I think, to, to reinvigorate himself and uh, motivate himself uh, to stay in form, or not just in Formula One, but uh, just in motorsport in general, because he wasn't going to get another crack, I, I think, with, a, with another team. I mean, there were some rumors that would kind of float around here and there and I, I don't know how much there was ever anything to them but I just couldn't see Fernando really ending up at, at any other team in Formula One other than McLaren at, uh, at this point in time and you know there there was uh, we, we talked about a couple weeks ago on the show about uh, I was just speculating well what if uh, Sebastian Vettel decided to retire at the end of this year and walk away uh, what, what 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 could that do for the sports you know like uh, who would uh, fill that uh, that, uh, that that seat there and uh, you know I 
I made the suggestion, you know, could we see Fernando Alonso return to Formula One and go back to Ferrari? I mean, it seems like a bit of a long shot, but uh, the, the other thing that, uh, that, that kind of lent a little bit of credence to that story was uh, Zach Brown, the McLaren CEO, said that they, they wouldn't necessarily stand in the way. But, you know, he said he is uh, looking for opportunities away from Formula One. I, I think at this point, uh, you know, that's got to be uh, realistic and, um, you know, makes a lot of sense uh, for Fernando. But just getting back to Max Verstappen, uh, just wonder that if that was something that interested him and the opportunity to race at Le Mans with, uh, with Aston Martin would be uh, something that interested him. And if he was able to have success young, I mean, you just have to think it's, uh, at some point, Max is going to win a lot more Grand Prix and he's going to win at Monaco. And then, uh, you know, he could at, uh, at a very young age be one of those guys that has already won a couple of the races of the Triple Crown. Now, whether or not uh, at some point, uh, maybe when he's a little bit older, whether or not he wanted to do the same thing and go and race in Indy, who knows? I'm pretty sure if you asked uh, Max Verstappen right now, he probably would say no. But uh, maybe uh, Fernando said the same thing a decade ago. So minds obviously can change. Anyways, um, Honda, uh, just uh, moving on and sticking with the Red Bull theme, said that they are surprised to be close to so many of the other top uh, Formula One teams. And I absolutely agree with that. Um, obviously, they just uh, won their first race in uh, in Formula One a couple of weeks ago at the, uh, the Austrian Grand Prix when uh, Max Verstappen was the best driver in the best car on the on the afternoon and it was uh, really really impressive i mean that was the first time that honda had won in a, uh, a formula one race in the v6 uh, turbo hybrid era and it was a very very long time coming i mean you look at all the uh, the, the drama and all the bad things that they went through uh when uh, when they were with, uh, with mclaren and then parting ways and then tenuously just by just by their fingernails hanging on by supplying engines uh, to Toro Rosso last year. And I I really wonder that if they hadn't uh, been able to secure that deal with Red Bull for 2019 and, uh, and 2020... And beyond, I'm not exactly sure how long the uh, the engine deal runs for. Whether or not uh, they would have wanted to stay in Formula One, I think that um, based on the history that uh, they, that they had with McLaren, I mean, you go back to the, uh, the 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 80s and the the early 90s when they when they were partnered up and they had uh, Ayrton Senna and Alan Prost, for example, as their drivers. I mean, McLaren was where it was at. I mean, uh, they were just. Uh, I mean, they built some fantastic cars during that era. I mean, they go back and just Google them right now if you're not uh, familiar with them. The uh, the, the McLaren MP44, the MP46. I mean, just cars that are just absolutely beautiful and were dominant at the at the time, and two exceptionally talented drivers and multiple world champions. And uh, then, of course, uh, after the the Honda uh, era, they had uh, the the success with the Mercedes engines. But uh, again, that's a, a bit of a different story. But anyways, uh, what, what I was trying to get at is that if, if the Honda wasn't able to stick in Formula One with a, with a big team, and you could see why they, even though McLaren had been struggling and hadn't been uh, you know, really enjoying uh, any any su- uh, success and was kind of slow, slowly sliding down the grid. You could see why they would make that deal. I mean, they had the the, the history between uh, the, the two of them, and there was no indication, at least at, at that point in time, that uh, th- that it was going to be as disastrous as it as it turned out to be. I think I don't think it was a surprise that uh, in the beginning that um, that there were issues. I mean, you look at the amount of time that the other engine manufacturers spent in uh, developing uh, these uh, turbo hybrid engines and uh, just uh, how much money and research and development went into it uh, even before 2014. So Honda came to the table 
with the uh, the disadvantage of uh, being late to the game and uh, had uh, had a lot of catch up to to do. I think what was surprising though is just how bad and how underpowered and how unreliable the engines were were to begin with. And uh, certainly, I don't think that's uh, anything that anybody uh, really uh, associated when it came to to Honda powered engines. Um, but uh, it it is interesting to see how much uh, better that they are. I mean, that, that, like I was saying a little bit earlier, there was that benchmark that they wanted to set, that they wanted to keep um, a Red Bull at least on um, a level that they that they were last year with uh, with with Renault. And and Renault, they kind of plateaued. The, the The relationship was strained. I think it even got to the point uh, that over the years that uh, that they kind of tuned each other out to a certain degree because um, Christian Horner had been very negative about uh, Renault engines going back to at least 2015, 2014, even if uh, if memory serves uh, correct, and uh, that uh, relationship just uh, just worsened uh, over years. So I, I think that it is uh, it's good for them. I think it is good for Honda that finally they're seeing some success and that that things are starting to work out for them and the results are there. And I'm really interested to see where they're going to go the, the the rest of the season. I mean, there seems to be real synergy between uh, the, the the two partners. I mean, there seems to be a lot of um, collaboration, a lot of uh, you know teamwork uh, together. Whereas uh, with a McLaren, it was basically McLaren chassis, Honda engine, put them together, and if it doesn't work, oh well. But uh, the the design philosophy that uh, that Renault, uh, sorry, that Honda and uh, Red Bull have is that the engine is very much integrated into the car, and they're really working to uh, design and build the car around the engine and vice versa. And I think that uh, that that kind of teamwork and that kind of cooperation can only lead to good things. Anyways, time for a quick break here on Scuderia F1. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this short message from our sponsors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to Scuderia F1 Podcast here on the Overtime Media Network and sticking with Aston Martin and Honda and Red Bull uh, just on the uh, the, the previous segment uh, before the break here. And uh, Aston Martin uh, has already said that uh, if Honda should decide to quit and walk away from Formula One. They are ready to to step up and move in to, to, to fill, the, fill the void. And they were very specific that they're not going to muscle in, as they called it, and try and uh, drive a wedge in and try and force their way into, into Formula One. But um, Andy Palmer, who's the uh, the, the CEO, said uh, in an interview with Motorsport.com that, that uh, the company is very pleased with um, Red Bull's Honda partnership. Uh, but uh, they said that they would be um, uh, willing to revive 
drive their own engine program should Honda decide uh, to uh, pull out and not to commit uh, to Formula One after uh, 2020. And uh, he said, uh, and I quote, would I like to be a little bit more involved in F1 technically? I think that depends. The obvious place for Aston to become involved in would be the engine. I think that's a question of whether Honda continues to develop the engine. Clearly, they have a lot more money and uh, muscle power than we do. I didn't think we're going to muscle in that relationship with Honda while it exists. We're very happy with the relationship and we're happy to see it continue, but nobody knows quite what the regulations beyond 2021 and who's going to be involved in that. So interesting uh, food for thought. Uh, It it is kind of cool to see a a mark like Aston Martin uh, in Formula One, at least as a a title sponsor. And uh, it's kind of an interesting uh, proposition whether or not uh, they would decide to uh, come in full-time as an engine manufacturer. I mean, that story's been around uh, for a little while. I mean, it goes back even a year or two that they kind of floated it, uh, that they were thinking about uh, maybe doing an engine program. But obviously, uh, Honda is one of the world's biggest uh, car manufacturers. They have a lot of might uh, and uh, and a lot of power and obviously a lot of uh, financial resources at their uh, disposal. I mean, obviously they do, because I mean, I think that uh, they they took quite a hit coming back into Formula One. I think uh, that the, the, the program turned out to, to be a lot more than they ever really expected. And certainly it really looked at one point that they were going to lose their shirt uh, when everything was going so uh, wrong with McLaren. And uh, maybe that, um, you know, it, uh, it, that, that they might just uh, have to end up uh, walking away. Of course, it didn't, uh, didn't turn out that way, but uh, certainly that, uh, that problem was there. But again, this is uh, interesting just uh, kind of going back to uh, Honda saying that, uh, that they're thrilled and happy to be up there and uh, challenging the the other Formula One or the top Formula One teams. And uh, I mean, they obviously were better than everyone else at uh, at the Austrian Grand Prix, which, uh, you know, they probably had a little bit of extra added uh, horsepower and that being their own track. And uh, I mean that a little bit uh, metaphorically, but uh, certainly they were the best car that afternoon. I mean, the way that uh, Max Verstappen just uh, was able to carve his way through the field and, uh, and eventually take the lead and, and win in the way that he did uh, it was exciting it was a really enjoyable race and uh, it, it was good to see and I think it was just a, a real feel-good story and I think that uh, that did a lot uh, for Honda and I, I really thought it was interesting too on on just on the flip side uh, to a certain extent because uh, when the, the story came out uh, in an interview Max Verstappen did a couple of months ago uh, when he said that uh, that uh, that he really felt that they would be winning uh, races by the middle of the year that it said uh, or he thought that that was an achievable goal goal. I took it for what it was worth, and I took it with a bit of a pinch of salt. And, uh, you know, honestly, the, the way that uh, that Max Verstappen is, I think he's fairly open. I don't think he's very boastful. I think he's a, he, he's a pretty straightforward and down-to-earth guy. So I, I, I found his comments is interesting at, uh, at at the time, and the, the, or at least the way that I pre- perceive uh, Max Verstappen. And uh, I, I thought to myself, well, if he thinks that uh, they're going to be capable to win with Honda Power by the middle of the season, there's got to be some Something uh, to that because uh, it really doesn't uh, seem to me to be like Max Verstappen to kind of, kind of come out and uh, make a 
baseless uh, or boastful uh, statements in the press. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, here here we go. They were able to back that up. But it was only one win. And uh, at uh, at Silverstone, obviously, they were not uh, anywhere near to being uh, as com- competitive uh, with uh, with Mercedes. I mean, they were with uh, Ferrari. And, and that's who they're racing right now. And the past couple of years, it's always been uh, Mercedes and occasionally Ferrari uh, challenging Mercedes and winning races here and there. And then once in a very, very uh, long while, once in a blue moon, uh, circumstances would just work out and, and Red Bull would be able to uh, win a race here or there. And and usually, in, in some cases, uh, certainly, I mean, go back to the Chinese Grand Prix last year uh, when uh, it came down to a bit of a bold pit strategy uh, on, on the fly under the safety car which is uh, really what uh, gave Danny Ricardo what he needed to, to, to win that race and I mean that's uh, that's kind of something that uh, that Red Bull has done is sometimes they're very aggressive and and very um, you know bold in their their their, their strategies in there and uh, and reacting to the way that things are, are on the on the track but certainly over time uh, and this year what with uh, Ferrari slipping a little bit uh, Red Bull has been able to kind of inch uh, a little bit incrementally forward. And I think that, uh, I don't think it's a, a stretch of the imagination to say now that with Honda Power, they're a little bit uh, ahead of where they were even this time last year with uh, with, with Renault Power. And uh, because, and I base that on the fact that, that they are more uh, regularly able to battle with Ferrari because that has been the, 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 the big thing. It was always uh, Mercedes, sometimes Ferrari, occasionally Red Bull, but even when uh, Red Bull was there, they were kind of stuck in a little bit of no man's land between Ferrari and Mercedes, and then the rest of the the, the pack with uh, your Renaults, your Hasses, and all the other uh, midfield uh, midfield teams. I mean, I know it's a little bit of a false positive when uh, you know you say, well, they're they're racing Ferrari more this year. I mean, obviously the Ferrari is not a good of a car this year as it was last year, maybe even going back to 2017. So where there's been a decrease in performance that has closed the gap between Ferrari and Red Bull. But let's give them credit where credit is due. Uh, Even though Ferrari has slipped a little bit, uh, Red Bull and Honda have been able to step up and uh, and move forward. So I think it's uh, it's a little bit of uh, 50-50. But uh, the the, the big problem is now, if you're Ferrari, that is, and they know that they have to do something to uh, react to the the threat that they're getting from uh, Red Bull. And, uh, I mean, just go back to the, the British Grand Prix, a week and a half ago, just uh, that scrap uh, between uh, Max Verstappen and uh, Charles Leclerc, and uh, it, it led to some great uh, racing. Uh, obviously, it was a, a little bit uh, tense, and uh, Charles made some uh, decisions that uh, that were criticized for, and uh, some of it was kind of uh, borderline, just uh, hanging on to uh, his uh, the, the the position that he had. I mean, uh, to me, it was uh, exciting and fun to watch, and uh, I always uh, my. I guess uh, my baseline, if you want to call it that, or my standard is as long as it's safe, as long as the the, the, the drivers aren't going out intentionally damaging uh, their their rivals or their competitors' uh, cars or being dangerous or doing something that uh, could lead to a situation where somebody might get uh, very badly hurt, then, uh, of course, then it goes uh, too far. But, I mean, Ferrari, they do have their work ahead of them. I mean, now it's not so much uh, are they going to be able to get something out of the car this year and close the gap to, to Mercedes. I mean, that's just not going to happen. 
happen. I mean, the season now is is, is basically half over. They haven't been able to develop the car uh, to get it to the point uh, where they were or the in, in the preseason where they were faster than everyone else. And I mean, really, what's the point now? I mean, you, you can only do so much with the car. It is what it is. And if you're able to develop it and uh, make some gains here or there, is it really going to be able to uh, close the gap to uh, to Mercedes? Probably not. Who knows? I mean, I think that a couple of times this year, Ferrari have been a little bit uh, unlucky. They um, probably feel like they should have won the Austrian Grand Prix. Certainly, they should have been uh, on for a 1-2 finish at Bahrain. A couple of races into the season there, and uh, that didn't turn out um, for a couple of reasons. One being Charles Leclerc's uh, mechanical problem, and then Sebastian Vettel's uh, a bit of a moment that he had uh, scrapping with uh, Lewis Hamilton, and then having to go into the pits. Uh, for a nose and front wing uh, replacement. So, I mean, the, there there is that. I mean, the, the, the opportunities have been there for Ferrari this year. They just haven't been there a lot uh, compared to maybe uh, 2018, definitely, and, uh, and, and 2017, and perhaps even, well, 2016, they weren't really as competitive with, uh, with Mercedes as they were in 2017, and definitely weren't as competitive and as close to Mercedes as they were last year. But now, I mean, having slipped back uh, the way that they have, that uh, obviously they're not uh, good. So they're, they're fast enough to um, consistently battle with uh, with Mercedes. I mean, there, there there might be tracks and instances in the latter half of the season here that uh, that are more favorable to uh, Ferrari than Mercedes. But it seems like those opportunities have been uh, far and few between. But so now, like I was saying, they've slipped a little bit, and Red Bull has uh, been able to um, step it up and has been able to close that gap that uh, that, that had been uh, a little bit wider between between them and uh, and uh, and Ferrari over the past couple of years so they really need to do something about it I mean maybe from their point of view they've kind of written the the, the season off but I can't really see a team like uh, Ferrari uh, throwing in the towel just because they didn't get it quite right with the design of this year's car and uh, and and not fight it out uh, but uh, uh, Mattia Bonato the team principal at Ferrari said quote they certainly approved and if you look at the last two races as a matter of fact they won in Austria and have been very co- competitive in Britain. I think our packages are very close, and I think that the last few races have shown it. Are they the second? Are we the second? I think that we are very close. This is giving us a further boost because we know we need to improve and we need to be capable of fighting for the first position at each single race, no matter where is the circuit. It has not been the case in Britain, no doubt, and from the, that perspective, it has been good. Or it has been disappointing. After qualifying, we were expecting to move to a better result, but the pace was not good enough. I think there is still a lot to improve. So there you go. Words from the big man, the, the, the boss of a Ferrari, and I think that's a, a very accurate uh, take that uh, that Bonato has on the on the situation. Uh, obviously, he's a little bit closer to to it uh, than, than the rest of us, but I think that uh, that he's nailed it uh, bang on. And uh, the, the the question is is really what can they do to react, and um, how much uh, are they prepared to put into the car? between now and the rest of the season. So we'll have to wait and see whether or not they can keep in front of Red Bull. And uh, we'll know again in a couple of days if they're uh, successful or not after the German Grand Prix. Okay, well, now let's uh, talk about some uh, other news that's in uh, Formula One. And uh, last week I did announce that that the Australian Grand Prix has been uh, renewed and it will be on the Formula One schedule 
at least in 12, uh, 2025, which is uh, which is cool. Always like the the Australian Grand Prix. Just not the biggest fan about the uh, the uh, Albert Park circuit in uh, in Melbourne. I mean, it is a temporary track, and it, I mean it's it's all right, but it hasn't really led to. A lot of uh, exciting races, especially over the, the the past couple of years, and I mean, then that's probably a lot to be down with that uh, that those cars, uh, the Formula One cars, just really aren't suited to, to that track for overtaking. I mean, the track itself doesn't really uh, lend itself to a lot of over, overtaking. Um, but uh, the, the the bosses, uh, the people that run and that are in charge of the Australian Grand Prix, said that uh, they are considering or will reconsider altering the the Albert Park Circuit uh, track um, because of this new deal that they have uh, with uh, with formula one so excuse me so uh, one of the uh, or a couple of things that they're looking at is uh, the resurfacing of the track and uh, freshening up uh, the the layout uh, that's their own words although freshening up that kind of leads me to think where they're just gonna go go and put a little bit of like uh, i don't know Go for a quick shower and hope that all works. But uh, joking aside, uh, the, the, there are a couple of things that uh, they're they're looking at, and uh, they they want to um, or they they're thinking of perhaps ditching the uh, turn eleven and twelve uh, series of corners and replace it with a slow corner that uh, might encourage uh, overtaking. And uh, that was uh, something they were th- considering a couple of years ago, but they actually shelved that uh, way back in uh, in, in twenty seventeen. So the um, CEO Andrew uh, Westacott said it's important to get a return on investment in anything you do and the ability to have that uh, extra two years provides more certainty to do a couple of things one is to look at resurfacing the drivers at the moment haven't said that it's needed they wax and they wane sometimes it's the most imperative thing that they want to do and the other times they like the character of a street circuit the other thing that it does it allows us to have a look at the evolution of the track and look at the tweaks we can make given the physical limitations of a lake and a sports stadium and a pit building and also the other things so kind of cool. I'm glad that uh, that uh, number one, like I say, that uh, that the deal has been reached to keep the Australian Grand Prix on the calendar for the next couple of years. And I'm also glad to see that the bosses there are considering doing something to uh, liven it up and and maybe uh, make some changes that uh, would uh, make the race there better. And uh, yeah, they do have their work cut out. I mean, the, it is uh, it is a Grand Prix track, meaning it is a couple line uh, miles long, but they do have uh, some other things there, like you said, uh, sports facilities and lake so they are a little bit limited in what they can do but uh, hopefully they find a good compromise that works and uh, leads to some better racing anyways time for another break here on scuderia f1 don't go away we'll be back after a very short break don't go away All right, welcome back to the show here on the Overtime Media Network, and we're going to stick with the circuit theme for the moment. And Sebastian Vettel has said that he believes that there is no strong need for a Formula One to add more uh, city circuits uh, to the calendar. And uh, Seb actually went on to say that uh, he would prefer to stay at Silverstone rather than seeing a, a city center London Grand Prix, and uh, hopes that uh, that uh, Formula One uh, doesn't do something fancy. So the British Grand Prix. So this is a bit of good news. The the Australian Grand Grand Prix was uh, was uh, was was renewed, and then also the British Grand Prix has been secured until 2024. So a couple of uh, good pieces of news regarding uh, tracks that uh, or, or venues that had their deals uh, coming up, and that has uh, been sorted out. I mean, there's uh, you know the Mexican Grand Prix that was a bit shaky there as well, well some others. So it's good to see some of these ones uh, getting uh, locked down. But uh, Vettel was uh, saying that uh, that uh, that he's happy staying at some of the uh, traditional tracks, uh, especially staying at Silverstone rather than trying something new. 
And uh, honestly, I, I don't mind that take. I, I think that's okay. I mean, I, I'm, I must admit that I'm, uh, I differ on one point, and uh, that would be the, uh, the, the possibility of a London Grand Prix. I, I'm, I'm open to that. But just in general, I'm, I'm not too much of a fan of, uh, of street circuits. I think some work, some don't. I think some of the ones that, uh, that are more purpose-built, as it were, that, uh, that really work in some of the, uh, the, the city streets, uh, like Baku, that seems to work uh, pretty good. I mean, we've seen some pretty good uh, races over the years there in the in the short time that Formula One's been there. Monaco is what it is, and it always it will be what it is. I mean, it's just a, more of a traditional homecoming kind of thing for, for Formula One, that they get to go and race in their own backyards. And I mean, we, we can sit here and debate how exciting the Monaco Grand Prix is until the cows come home. I mean, sometimes it's been exciting, sometimes it hasn't been. Last year was about as exciting as watching paint dry, even though, uh, you know, you had Danny Ricardo fighting a failing MGUK the entire race and was holding up the entire fields, but nobody could get around him. And then uh, this year you had uh, Lewis Hamilton struggling on uh, tires and, and, and a bad strategy and was able to uh, fight off uh, Max Verstappen. That, w- that was good fun. I mean, uh, that was maybe just uh, one incident um, compared to the, uh, when in comparison to the rest of the entire field. But it was it was fun to watch. I mean, you have a guy like uh, Lewis, who's a very talented and quick driver, struggling and just wondering, is he going to be able to, to hang on or is he going to have to go into the pits? And he's trying to hold off a, a guy like Max Verstappen. You just know that Max is going to have a go at some point and the big question was uh, when was he going to do it is he going to get, get close enough to be able to do it and is he going to be able to pull it off or is it all going to end in tears but uh, you know I mean you look at some of the other street circuits I also like um, uh, Singapore but I don't want to add too many I mean there's other tracks that just uh, haven't worked over the years I, I think I remember a couple uh, in in going back in the 80s I can't remember where it was was it Dallas or was it I think it was Detroit or somewhere like that I mean they basically just close down the sit the center of the city and it just uh, that that sort of track uh, doesn't uh, d- doesn't work for me but i mean i, I do kind of like the idea that liberty media has that um, that, that they are willing to explore and and go to uh, take formula one to to, to to different places and i don't know how how much of a boast and how accurate it was when um, when chase carey said about a year ago that there was up to uh, 40 different venues from around the world that were interested in uh, in hosting and uh, and, and having a Grand Prix of their own. I don't know how accurate that is. I mean, there's never really been anything more said, but I mean, you look uh, that uh, that the Miami Grand Prix, I mean, that looks like it may be on and then it may be off. And then yeah, then, then a week or two ago, those um, rumors uh, uh, pop back up that uh, that it might actually be kind of become a thing again. I guess it really comes down to the political will uh, to, to get it done there because, I mean, Formula One wants to get it done, but I mean, there's a problem that they have in Miami about where to hold it and some opposition from local residents and which you might expect and those are all uh, serious things that need to be in, uh, dealt with I mean you just can't go and uh, have a, a Grand Prix and just uh, put it up uh, and start racing with uh, you know because uh, it could uh, obviously affect a, a lot of the residents there and uh, I mean there have been other talks uh, about maybe having a race in Vegas or New York or something like that and I mean I think there's all place for that but I don't I don't want to have too many different uh, uh, street circuits I, I mean I I like Formula One racing on the big tracks and I, I think that's where they really uh, need to stay I mean if they maybe add one maybe two here or there I mean I guess there's uh, possibilities uh, for, for that but uh, it is interesting though uh, just sort of sticking with that theme I mean um, uh, you look at uh, the, the Mercedes uh, drivers uh, Lewis Hamilton and uh, Valtteri Bottas so they've actually kind of stepped up and, uh, and called out Formula One 
and um, they the and what they've uh, what they call political track choices. And uh, they, the the pair of them were saying that uh, they were hoping that driver input can uh, improve their choice of uh, circuits and, and and avoid places that uh you know that uh, that get races in what they call for pure political re- uh, reasons and uh, and money. I guess one of them that the, they they were referring to was uh, the the French Grand Prix at uh, Manicourt. Sorry, not Manicourt, but uh, Paul Ricard uh, about a month ago. And I mean, I love having a French Grand Prix. I think that uh, France is one of those places, one of those countries that needs a Grand Prix. And it's just unfortunate that uh, the the past two that we've had after the French Grand Prix being absent from Formula One for way too many years, that uh, it's it's been a little bit uh, anticlimactic. I mean, you you look at uh, at Paul Ricard and the interesting, uh, you know, those um, those abrasive colored strips of uh, paint that they have around the circuit and all the different variations that they could make uh, to you know to the, the combinations uh, of, the, of the track there could really make uh, something interesting I mean it, it's a very narrow track it's not very wide but it's long and it's got a couple of tight twisty technical sections and you have that uh, wonderful long Mistral straight around down the back but they put the chicane in for safety sort of halfway down which I don't know I guess uh, depends on your point of view but uh, I, I think it takes a little bit away from uh, from the spectacle I think it takes a little bit away from it by putting that chicane in but i guess at the at the end of the day safety is paramount and uh, it's more important that uh, that the drivers uh, don't get in a situation that uh, that might be a, a little bit uh uh, you know, they could put them in a bad uh, situation. But, uh, you know, having said that, it, it hasn't really provided uh, too many exciting races in the in the, in the past two years. So who knows uh, whether or not they could do that but uh, and make it better. But uh, Lewis went on to say that uh, that the drivers know better than anyone which tracks that they can overtake on and on, on which they can't. And uh, you see that, uh, and he refers to a, a couple that uh, he really likes is uh, Silverstone and then the Circuit of America's in Austin, Texas, which uh, which opened uh, back in 2012, and he says that those are among his favorite tracks because you can follow, and they're also spectacular at high speed, and and uh, and and that's true. I mean, Silverstone is a great uh, great circuit. I mean, we saw a lot of action there the, just the the other weekend, uh, and the Circuit of Americas as well. It's really cool because you have the start finish. They go up that steep hill into that uh, very sharp uh, left hand corner and turn one, which is about uh, I would say over a hundred degrees. I mean, it's more than a right angle, and then you go into that long series a very fast uh, sweeping corners and it's cool i think it's a it's a great uh, track and um <laughs> hamilton uh, he does go on to say and i quote but then you've got uh, but then we've got places where you just can't follow and it's like a train so what would you prefer having a race in those countries just to, for the sake of having a race or do you want to have a great race like this at silverstone if so then we need to look at the different options in the different countries and uh, basically uh valtteri bottas uh, agreed with that and uh, he had to say uh, quote i'm sure many of the track selections for the calendar it is it's just for pure political reasons and money rather than actually focusing on what's good for racing or not from our side it's not that nice we love racing everyone loves good racing and that's how it should be so they they are going to be uh, giving more of a formal voice uh, and, and uh, coming into the the uh, the whole process to try and nail down the rules for for 2021 and uh, hopefully that is uh, something that uh, that is actually uh, taken into account and uh, the the, the drivers can actually have a meaningful impact in uh, the direction that the sport takes uh, after 2020 and into the, the the medium and long term 
So talking about uh, other things now, uh, Danny Ricardo has now been hit uh, with a 10 million pound uh, lawsuit uh, claim from uh, an ex-advisor claiming that uh, he's uh, unpaid uh, commissions uh, relating uh, to his um, driver's contract. So he, uh, Ricardo, of course, he left uh, his long-term team at Red Bull at the end of last uh, season and he's in the middle now of a two-year deal at uh, at Renault, which uh, started at this year. And um, according to... United Kingdom High Court justice documents that were obtained by motorsport.com. Ricardo's former advisor, Glenn Beavis, claims he's owed various sums for the contract uh, that uh, Ricardo was uh, entered into with uh, Renault. So uh, the claim that uh, Beavis uh, served earlier this month alleges a debt of 20% commission on Ricardo's base Renault salary, various contractual elements, uh, including the cost of uh, Danny Rick's uh, super license, the use of a Renault road car, and a cost of a physiotherapist amongst uh, other other things. So uh, Ricardo uh, responded in a statement to motorsport.com saying that there is, quote, no substance to Glenn Beavis's claim. It is unfortunate that he has decided to bring this wholly unmeritous claim, which I intend to fully defend in the court process. So uh, disappointing uh, to hear that, but uh, also interesting to see if uh, there is any merit uh, to it and uh, what uh, what uh, gets uh, shaken out uh, during the, the, the process. And we're going to talk a little bit now uh, about um, the, the the German Grand Prix this uh, weekend. And I think that uh, this is a very, very big race for uh, Valtteri Bottas. I mean, if uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the, the, the championship uh, in the moment and the standings, but it, it really has come down to it's going to be between Lewis Hamilton and, and Valtteri Bottas. And it's been that way uh, for, for quite some time. I mean, it's uh, it was pretty obvious from after the first couple of races it really was going to be uh, again sadly uh, depending on your point of view, if if you're maybe you're not a fan of uh, of Mercedes uh, and Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas, that is going to be uh, just a, a battle between these two. But it uh, Bottas, I think he started very strongly this year. I think he made a real statement uh, when he came out and he won the Australian Grand Prix at Melbourne back in in, in March. But uh, he's found himself in a bit of a deficit uh, to Lewis Hamilton now. If you look at the World Championship, Lewis is on top with 223 points. Valtteri, he's I mean, he's in touch, but he is a little bit at arm's length compared to Lewis Hamilton. I mean, he's uh, second with 184 points, uh, Max Verstappen 136, Sebastian Vettel with 123, and then Charles Leclerc rounding out the top five with 120. Obviously, Max, Sebastian, and Charles are just uh, too far back. I mean, uh, Charles is over 100 points uh, behind Lewis Hamilton. So, I mean, it's it's, it's just not going to happen. I mean, uh, Botas is the, the only driver that has a realistic chance of catching uh, Lewis Hamilton in the World Championship. And that is going to take, uh, I think, a little bit of uh, luck uh, on his uh, on his own uh, behalf. I mean, uh, he, he, he needs to get, uh, obviously, score more points uh, than, than, than Hamilton. I mean, the thing is, the... the the Mercedes cars are almost bulletproof and uh, it would seem very unlikely or it would be very unexpected uh, to see Lewis Hamilton have to retire as a result of uh, of mechanical failure and even less likely to see Lewis Hamilton get into an incident on the track and uh, be forced off uh, or forced out of a race due to a, a racing incident. Although it's it's happened over the years. I mean, you look at uh, what happened uh, between uh, uh, Hamilton and uh, Nico Rosberg at uh, Spain back in 2016 where they uh, came together 
on the uh, the opening a- uh, lap and uh, ended up tangling with each other and crashing into the gravel in turn three before the lap where the where it was even half over. So, I mean, things like that can happen. Um, it just seems very unlikely. So, uh, I, I think that uh, you know the the only way that uh, you know Bottas uh, can get back into it is. I mean, this might be a bit of an obvious statement is to, to, to go out and beat uh, Lewis Hamilton head to head, but that is a, a very, very big task. And I think that, you know, honestly, I think that Botas has done a pretty decent job so far this year. I, coming into 2019, um, uh, Total Wolf, the team principal at uh, Mercedes, was, uh, was not talking about uh, uh, Botas and the, the fact that if he was going to stay with the team uh, after his contract expires, that, uh, you know, he'd have to perform on a level uh, comparable. To, to, to Lewis Hamilton and uh, I've, I've said a couple of times and I said even way back uh, when that comment came out uh, during the winter that uh, you know Toto's setting the bar awfully high and uh, certainly he is but uh, this is a really really big uh, statement race uh, for him and uh, I, I think he's done well in, in, in the season so far but I mean just for the past uh, little while he just hasn't been able to get over that hump uh, a little bit and uh, we'll just ta- talk about here uh, very quickly quickly but uh he's uh, resorted to uh, ruling out um or he's sorry he's uh, uh ruled out the the, the possibility of uh, getting a sports psychologist to help him out uh, compared to uh nico rosberg who did uh, get some outside help a couple of years ago anyways gonna just break here for the final time here on uh, scuderia f1 don't go away we'll be back in just a moment All right, we're going to start closing down the show. And as I hinted at just uh, before the break there, Valtteri Bottas has indeed uh, ruled out uh, the, the, the possibility of working with a sports psychologist to help him in his uh, battle to, to beat uh, Lewis Hamilton and uh, become a world champion. And uh, Rosberg, he did um, he did the, do that, uh, hire somebody to, to help him. And uh, Bottas uh, just came out and he said, quote, I don't think it will work for me. Every athlete and every person is an individual. Some need outside support. I have uh, plenty of good uh, people around me that I can talk to. Uh, for me, it's the man in the mirror that gives the answers if I had hard times or doubts and so on. I solve that with myself usually. I really see, don't see, I don't really see that as a gain in that at the moment. Uh, it's pretty individual. If you look at many other sports, many people use psychologists all the time and get some good help from that, but some not at all. And that's fine. I think that's, uh, you know, he does what he needs to do. And I think he came into the season in a good frame of mind. Last year, I think that depending on on what kind of person you are, if uh, in your if you're in the same situation of Valtteri Bottas, it can go one of two ways. You can uh, either uh, let it affect you consciously or subconsciously, or you can deal with it and and, and work past it and move on, and uh, and tr- and try and do something uh, better. Because I mean, it, it was a frustrating season for for Valtteri Bottas, and 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 for me, it was kind of summed up uh, with the team orders at the Russian Grand Prix, even though he was leading that one, and uh, Lewis was sitting comfortable at the top. At uh, in the in the world championship, and um, you know he didn't really need to win that race. I mean the the Ferrari threat at that point, uh, Vettel had really faded. Uh, I mean uh, the the men, uh, momentum had completely swung in Lewis Hamilton and and Mercedes' favor. So it was a question uh, of time, and in, in my mind that uh, that he was going to win that uh, that world championship uh, regardless. So I thought uh, that was just unfortunate uh, with Bottas, and then you go back uh, to the Hungary 
Hungarian Grand Prix when uh, you know he held up uh, uh, Sebastian Vettel and Kimi Räikkönen in the, the the two Ferraris for a long time as uh, as Lewis uh, had the lead and I mean that's just the way it was uh, I mean the the Hungaro Ring is a, an impossible place to, to to pass but I mean he did the job well either intentionally or not and by the time the two Ferraris got past him Lewis was too far ahead and they just weren't going to be able to uh, close that gap by the end of the race but anyways as it came out it may have been a bit of a Freudian slip but uh, Total Wolf uh, said at the time that uh, that he thought that uh, Mercedes was the the ideal wingman or something uh, to that uh, effect uh, to, to Lewis Hamilton and you had to think that uh, that that must have hurt <laughs> a little bit um, you know re- regardless if that was an intentional saying or a quote or, or not uh, from, from Toto so I think that uh, that couldn't have helped uh, Valtteri Bottas but I, I think that despite having the the difficult season that he did in 2018 I think that uh, whatever he did over the winter that, uh, that that it worked because I mean he was impressive when they came back and uh, I mean he blew everyone away in that opening race at um, at uh, at 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 Australia and I think that uh, you know it's just uh, it, it was uh, I think it was a reflection of all the work that uh, that he did and uh, it was just uh, disappointing uh, I, I think for him that uh, that that the, maybe the results haven't been there I mean it is quite a deficit that he finds himself into uh, with, with Lewis Hamilton and uh, certainly if he could beat him head-to-head uh, without having to rely or hope that uh, that something uh, unexpected happens uh, to Lewis Hamilton. I think that's a little bit uh, too much to expect. I think you just have to, to go out, take care of business, and uh, you know just have the best race that you can have personally. And then whatever happens to Lewis happens uh, to, to Lewis. But um, you know it is. I, I think um, you know Lewis is really making a good case uh, that he is going to be a you know world champion again then this year. I mean he's got a nice comfortable lead in, in in his pocket at the moment. But we've seen that evaporate over the years. I mean you go back to Nico. Uh, Rosberg's championship year in 2016 uh, after several races he had about a 43 or 44 point lead at the top of the championship and it, it took uh, Lewis um, a substantial amount of time to to really whittle that lead away and, and, and really work his way back into the um, into the championship fight and I mean he had a better portion of the season to do it and uh, you know whether uh, Bottas uh, could do the same thing I mean he's what 39 points uh, behind uh, I, I mean there's still a lot of racing left have to go but he would have to start uh, getting a you know a lot of top steps on the podium and uh, and and really getting more um you know hoping for more points than than his teammates but uh, I mean, just kind of considering how things are right now, I mean, it really is between the, the, the two Mercedes drivers and unless something really unexpected uh, happens, it, it really seems a bit of a stretch to expect that, uh, that uh, you know, one of the other teams might be able to, to sneak in between. But, you know, sometimes it does happen. Some, some cars are suited to, to, to different tracks so that we, we might get a couple of these ones here. But I think that might be a little bit more the exception rather than the, the rule. Anyways, just before we go here now, we will just uh, take a quick look at the uh, the, the German Grand Prix. And uh, just a, a reminder that uh, it is at Hockenheim, and the Hockenheim ring is a 4.57 or 2.84 mile long uh, track. So that's 4.57 kilometers, 67 laps, uh, total race distance of 306.45 kilometers. Uh, the last, uh, or the uh, the attendance last year in 2018 was 160. 
65,000 people taking the race in. Sebastian Vettel was on pole last year with uh, setting a Q3 time of 111.212. Valtteri Bottas was on uh, second on the uh, on the grid with 111.416. Kimi Raikkonen 111.457, and then Max rounding out the second row with a 111. And if you remember, or if you're wondering where Lewis Hamilton was, that's when he had problems uh, with uh, the the shifting, uh, the the gear changes in the car. And then the the team advised him that they did have a hydraulics problem and advised him to park the car. So he did uh, start the the, the race further down on the grid, uh, but uh, it worked out a lot uh, better for him than it did uh, for Sebastian Vettel. I mean, you look at uh, uh, Sebastian obviously starting on pole and uh, Lewis Hamilton starting in 14th but it was a bit of a weird race there was a some spotty rain uh, in the second half of the Grand Prix and it sort of it was rain, raining in different areas of the track and uh, it just did really lend itself uh, very well for for either uh, inters and definitely not for the full wets and then Sebastian Vettel costing himself big time uh, by not being able to stay on the track and then slid off into the gravel in the stadium section there and that uh, that was one of those turning points in the season and uh, in Sebastian's uh, challenge for the world uh, championship uh, last year and uh, it was disappointing but I mean uh, it was a a bit of a a wild one uh, because by the time it was all said and done it was Lewis Hamilton winning at Valtteri Bottas on uh, second place and uh, the Iceman Kimi Raikkonen uh, ending up third on the podium so and that that just goes to show you guys that uh, anything can and uh, sometimes uh, does happen in in Formula One that uh, but that was a, a little bit uh, kind of bizarre. But if uh, you look at uh, some of the uh, the different, um, so out of the current drivers in uh, Formula One, Lewis has won the uh, the German Grand Prix the most with four, so that uh, ties him with uh, with a uh, great Michael Schumacher. So uh, Lewis has won it in uh, 2008, 11, 16, and he won it last year. Uh, the driver that's won it the most was Rudolf Caracciola, uh, but that's going way back to the 1920s and the 1930s. And uh, there are others. There's no other current drivers that have won it uh, as often as uh, as Lewis have. I mean, three-time winners include uh, Alberto Ascari won. Manuel Fangio, Jackie Stewart, Nelson Piquet, Ayrton Senna, Fernando Alonso, three-time German Grand Prix uh, winner, and then two-time uh, winners include Jackie X, Nigel Mansell, Alan Prost, Gerhard Berger. So, I mean, well, it's no real surprise. I mean, if you go look at any of the Grand Prix out there, it seems that uh, that Lewis is uh, one of the guys that uh, has won it uh, the, the most. And uh, certainly, I mean, just the way that uh, he's been driving and the way that uh, Mercedes has been going this week at, or all season long, it it really is a struggle to really uh, bet against uh, Lewis at the moment, uh, and it will be interesting to see whether or not his uh, teammate has an answer for him, or if uh, any of the, the the rival teams in Ferrari or Red Bull can pull something uh, together at the Hockenheim Ring this season. Anyway, so uh, just uh, quickly before we go, just going to look at uh, quickly the the constructors uh, championship. Uh, of course, it is all one sided. It is all Mercedes. They are on top with 407 points. Ferrari is second in the constructors with 243 red bull 191 mclaren with 60 points and then rounding out the top five in the constructors is renault 
with 39 points, so it certainly is going to be interesting to see whether or not uh, Renault can make some more positive uh, forward movement in the World Championship based on some of the more uh, positive results that they've had uh, a little bit over the past couple of races and see if they can start uh, chasing or chasing the McLaren for that fourth and final spot in the uh, the Constructors' uh, Championship for the best of the rest. And uh, at the moment, uh, it certainly looks like it is uh, McLaren. They just have been a little bit better than uh, everyone else. And behind uh, Renault, all the other teams there tend to be a little bit inconsistent or they can be a little bit of a hot mess depending how far you want to or how low you want to go um, Williams were saying this week that uh, you know in order to take two steps forwards in their car they're gonna have to take three steps back so guys I think uh, you know you should just cut your losses on the car this year focus on everything uh, that that you're going to develop in the car for next year they said that uh, that they have some positive things uh, that that fundamentally the FW42 is a, is a good um, uh, chassis it is a good car so maybe they have something uh, to build on between uh, now and for next year anyways time to wrap up the show thank you very much uh, for listening if you want to uh, do us a favor and if you want to uh, to just to get in touch you can do so on twitter at scuderiaf one pod or you can email us at scuderiaf one pod at gmail.com if you want to show us a little love easiest way to uh, way is to leave us a five-star rating and review on apple Podcasts or wherever you uh, download and listen to the show and uh, if you would do that that would be awesome we really do appreciate it and it would uh, help uh, uh, help us uh, keep the show visible and grow it and uh, just get it to uh, to more formula one fans and that's uh, really what it's all about anyways thank you so very much for listening enjoy the german grand prix talk to you guys again this time next week thanks for listening and ciao Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com.